Welcome to the Beyond Barriers podcast. If you're an ambitious woman who wants to dominate your career, then you are in the right place. This podcast is co-hosted by Nikki Barua, digital innovator, serial entrepreneur, author, and speaker. And Monica Marquez, ex-Googler, diversity expert, and senior corporate leader. From inspiring stories to cutting-edge strategies, you'll learn how to develop the skill set, mindset, and tool set to get future-ready fast and accelerate your success. Hi, I'm Monica Marquez, your host for today's episode. What do you do when you put your head down, work really hard, strive to do everything right, but still see yourself being quietly sidelined and marginalized? Are you exhausted from battling toxic workplace cultures and realizing you've slowly started to lose yourself by assimilating and downplaying who you are just to succeed in a workplace built for straight white males? Well, in today's episode, you'll meet Daisy Auger Dominguez, who has made it her mission to make workplaces more equitable, compassionate, and inclusive. As a workplace culture and social impact strategist, Daisy inspires and equips global organizations to think inclusively, lead with purpose, embrace courage, and shape the future of work. Following two decades of leading organizations' transformations at Moody Investor Services, the Walt Disney Company, and Google, Daisy founded and leads Ager Dominguez Ventures, a workplace culture consultancy. A dynamic and sought-after speaker and writer, Daisy also serves on the board of directors of Planned Parenthood Federation of America, the Brooklyn Children's Museum, the Robert Sterling Clark Foundation, and Facing History in Ourselves. Daisy lives in Brooklyn, New York, with her husband and daughter. Visit imbeyondbarriers.com, where you'll find show notes and links to all the resources referenced in this episode, including the best way to get in touch with Daisy. Hi, Daisy. Thank you so much for joining us on the Beyond Barriers podcast. We are super excited to have you on. I know our audience is really wanting to uh, learn more about you and what it is that you're doing. So share with us your story and what you've learned along the way. And um, just given this current environment that we find ourselves in now, what is top of mind for you? Oh, that's, that's a really deep question right there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so first of all, thank you. Thank you so much for uh, having me and, uh, and hoping that um, all who will be uh, listening to this podcast are safe and healthy and sheltering in place because yes. that is the most responsible thing we can be doing right now. Um, so listen, I always talk about my story from the very beginning because we all have our origin stories. Uh, yes. And so I was born in New York City. Uh, to teenage parents of Dominican and Puerto Rican descent. Uh, and they were 15 and 16 when they had me, uh, ill-prepared to raise a child. Um, and I was um, fortunate enough that I had paternal grandparents, my, uh, my father's parents, or that's the Dominican side of my family, who were young enough and willing to raise me. So mm -hmm. I the opposite migratory pattern. I was born here in New York and I was raised in the Dominican Republic. Ah, okay. And then eventually came back here, which is, uh, you know, speaks a little bit about my identity formation. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, and when I was growing up in the Dominican Republic, I, you know, this, hindsight is always twenty twenty. I I was in a world of having one foot in and one foot out my entire life. And to mm -hmm. begin with, I was growing up in a very different family setting, you know, whereas all my friends, parents, um, you know, were there, were their direct parents, mine were my grandparents. And mm -hmm. you know, I had very close parents who were in, you know, in New York City who were super young and cool. And then I had like my older grandparents who were like over everything. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
so I was their last child, and I was as much as I was spoiled, I was also very. It was very regimented, mm-hmm. um, and and then they were also while they were working class, they were able to send me to an international school in the Dominican mm-hmm. Republic, and that's mm-hmm. how I learned English. Mm-hmm. Um, so often people will ask about my English, and I was like, I've been speaking it my whole life. <laughs> I was like, mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I started, I think I learned English when I was in second grade. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I went to school with kids from all over the world. And so my concept of diversity was very um, heritage and nationality based. I was mm-hmm. very much Dominican and Puerto Rican. Like that's mm-hmm. what I was. And my best friends were Ria Arvison from Denmark <laughs> and Annika Skapelhamen, uh, whose father is Dutch and whose mother is Dominican. Uh-huh. And he so. Um, who uh, actually we knew him as David So because uh-huh. when uh, most of the Asian community that moved to the DR just as they do, they do in the US he changed his first name right uh, but uh, but you know so uh, David is uh, David passed um, a couple of years ago but he's Chinese and these were all of my best friends um, mm-hmm. we had friends who were Israeli who were you know had to go back um, to serve in the military I I grew up with all of that but then when I was a junior in high school someone mm-hmm. told my father I had to come to the US to uh, get my PSATs um, because uh-huh. the plan had always been that this sacrifice was so that I would study in America. And, mm. for, you know, and for Dominicans, America is New York City. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, so we, we, moved, we moved to New Jersey, uh, mm-hmm. which is a small town that, you know, in a house that my father could ill afford. Um, but all of a sudden I moved to the U.S. and I became Hispanic. Mm. Uh, I, I went from being Dominicana and Puerto Ricana to, you know, you're Hispanic and that puts you in a box with, you know, 26 different other nationalities yes. and, you know, and, and, and frankly, media perceptions that are really negative and lack of access and opportunity and all of these things that to me felt incredibly limiting. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had grown up with the full breath of the good, the bad, and the ugly. But for mm-hmm. some reason, I was being placed in the ugly right away. <laughs> you know, like that, that's all you will ever achieve. Um, and, you know, and I was, I, I, I was in AP classes at school. I was in advanced English courses. People didn't mm-hmm. know what to do with a foreigner, you know, who right. spoke English so well. And for me, that was still just part of my, you know, what, what was normal to me. But, mm-hmm. but being othered after having grown up with that strong sense of identity, Mm-hmm. Um, allowed me to question things that I think when when you are faced with that from an early age, um, you know, you 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 end up just accepting a lot of it, and you end up carrying a lot of that weight. And I remember kind of very early on rejecting that weight and going, "Wait, no, no." <laughs> I was like, right. that, "That's that. Some of that is true. That's not my experience. Mm-hmm. And yes, I'm not wealthy. Uh, and yes, I don't have. I don't have." But I am very well educated. <laughs> so, right. you know, so all of those, um, you know, multiple identity formation pieces and, and what was being put upon me were just incredibly challenging to me. So that, that was the early stage. And then, I, you know, then I did undergrad and graduate work and, you know, learned, you know, of the U.S. And all of a sudden started understanding racism from a much more global perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, and, and these elements of, things that I had grown up with in a highly racialized country. I mean, you know, you know the Dominican Republic, it shares a border with Haiti and it was yes. the first slave revolt in America, but we never spoke about that. Mm. <laughs> that was not in any of my history books. I learned that in the U.S. Right. So, I, you know, so I started learning a lot about that. And then I had my first experience in corporate America and I was a credit risk analyst at Moody's Investor Service. And it was mm-hmm. an amazing organization, but it was the first time that I started seeing not just me, but other women and people of color, 
quietly sidelined and marginalized and mm-hmm. silenced um, really talented people uh, who would not do well in the company, but go somewhere else and do extremely well. And, you know, and made me start thinking, well, maybe it's not them. <laughs> maybe it's the organization. Maybe mm-hmm. it's the system. Um, and those were the early stages that led me to really become passionate about how do I change that for others? And mm-hmm. that, be- that became the, those were the beginning elements of my career in diversity and inclusion. Mm, fascinating. There's certainly a lot of parallel lessons and your story that resonates with me being that first generation college, but then first generation corporate where you don't have that, um, I would say, legacy network per se of, you know, being able to ask people, what are the rules of the road? And, um, and I love how you were saying you start seeing people like yourself being sidelined or not even realizing sometimes that you are being left behind. Um, so, when you started kind of picking your head up, because I don't know if you did, but I always grew up with, you know, Miha, put your head down, work hard. You're going to get, you know, the right people will notice and, you, you know, things will happen. Yes. And you realize really quickly that you put your head down, you're working really, really hard. And then promotions come around and people left and right of you getting promoted. And you're like, what, what the, you know, what's why going I, on? Why am I left, why am I left behind? You exactly. Know, um, Dr. Dr. Ella Bell, uh, she's a mentor and, and, yes. and your friend and she she talks about you know it's like many of us didn't grow up around you know and having dinner table conversations about how do you navigate workplace culture and how yes. do you navigate politics in the workplace you know the conversations that we were having was Miha everything we're doing is so that you can succeed and right. and and that success is outside of my scope of understanding so all I can do is work extremely hard which is you know, like your parents, my parents, what they did, but they, they were ill-equipped to prepare me for what I was entering. Right. <laughs> and we see that, we see that often. And so we come into these places. And by the way, my father still to this day, and I've been an executive in large companies, whenever I start a new job, will be like, Miha, keep your head down and get your job done. <laughs> and, I, and, I, and I love to laugh at him and tell him, I'm like, Papi, actually, my job is to keep my head up and question and challenge what's happening, <laughs> um, which terrifies him, which terrifies him. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, but, but I think that that, and, and the other thing that I used to often, uh, you know, sort of midway through my career, I, I would say, it's like no one gave us, you know, sort of a decoder ring and mm-hmm. like walk into a place where like, okay, these are the people who I can trust. These are the people, you know, we don't, we don't grow up with that because we just, we don't, those are the things that we can actually, I can teach my daughter now and then I can teach my young cousins, you know, all of them who are, you know, graduating college and starting their careers, I sit down with them. And I, you know, they, I, I can, I can apply that, that guidance and that wisdom. For right. Them. But, right. but we didn't have that as first generation. And, and yet, the same conditions that existed when you and I started our career are still in place in most organizations. Yes. And that, mm-hmm. that is incredibly disheartening. Yes. No, it is. And I mean, it's, it's the systemic, it's the systemic bias that still defines success in a very white male, I guess, framework or masculine framework, where then if women try to assimilate to that, then it also goes against the character and you get deemed for that. So it's like you, you, you know, double-edged sword. So 
white professionalism, right? Yes. Like that's, that's, there's, a, there's a standard of white professionalism mm-hmm. um, and, and that the biases that, that are against, and you're right, for women, you know, you're dinged if, you know, you're, you're, you're dinged if you're too soft and, you know, and, and too feminine, which is, you know, the thought about building community, which by the way, you know, we keep on lifting up as actually really great leadership skills. Right. Um, but then you're also, you're also dinged if you're too aggressive and, and too forward and exhibiting, you know, male, you know, as, as what you, what people would say are male traits. And so, you know, that, that, that double, um, Jeopardy, if you will, for women is real. Mm-hmm. And then when you add the element of race and ethnicity, yes. that further pushes against because then they don't even know where to place us or how to place us. Right. I just, you know, I had a, a coaching conversation with one of my clients today who wants to launch a women's initiative. And she was very excited. And she's a white woman who really is committed to this work. And she wanted to know what I thought. And I said, here's the thing. Research has shown and, and history has shown that every women's initiative that every company has started has benefited white women yes. and not women of color. And so if you want to do this work well, I will say yes, certainly focus on gender because that's a huge gap for your organization mm-hmm. and make sure that it is racially and ethnically representative yes. <laughs> because otherwise you will continue to perpetuate the same racial fragility and the same overemphasis on you know, these standardized white professionalism pieces that really limit black, Latin, Latinx, mm-hmm. uh, indigenous, I mean, you name it, Asian, <laughs> like any, you know, all of these, all of these subgroupings of women who continue to fight against both the gender and the race, you know, and all the intersectionality elements that Dr. Kimberly Crenshaw has uh, so wonderfully giving us language for. Yes has put kind of like a face with the name and like, oh, this is what that is. Help our listeners understand, because I know that sometimes they, you know, I'll get the occasional question of like, you know, I've started this new role um, or they were in a toxic environment. They've chosen to leave that environment are super excited. They get to the new organization and then they see remnant, like those things starting to bubble up there as well. And so, and these are the microaggressions, micro inequities, micro insults. And they realize that there's a, there's a, I guess, a, a fork in the road of, do I say something now or do I continue to go on and say nothing and then end up in the same toxic environment where that I left, you know, the other organization or whatnot. How have you, um, armed yourself and maybe advised and armed others, how do you address that? How do you address that moment where you're like, okay, this doesn't sit well with me. I've just like, this is the micro insult or this is the, the micro, uh, the, you know, the micro inequity that's presenting itself. Do I say something or do I not? What's your advice? You no, know, and it's, it's, it's also situational. Uh, yes. and, and it so very much depends on uh, what position you have in the organization, what access you have to power um, or not. And mm-hmm. I say that because I just, I, I led a, a lunch and learn today also with one of the nonprofits where I serve. And, and I had this lovely woman of color ask me a very similar question. She's like, you know, how do, you know, when do I pull in the white men in my organization who are mansplaining and mm-hmm. who are, you know, diminishing women's uh, voices? And, um, and, and she, and she very smart, because I think this generation is way smarter than that. <laughs> yes. Very smartly said, and how do I do that while I safeguard myself? And that was, that was the information that I needed to know, to know, to recognize that she's a junior member of the team. Mm-hmm. And that by, by being the one that calls out this male senior leader, she creates exposure for herself. And we mm-hmm. all know that 
what, you know, as, as much as companies and organizations have non-retaliation policies and non-harassment policies, we all know that sadly, I can't name an organization that does not have a toxic culture. Right. I, I, I really, I wish I could, but you know, whenever I talk to folks and they, you know, they're trying to think of a job that they're trying to consider a new job and they ask me something like this and they're like, Daisy, how do I decide to go there? You know, how do I know if they're toxic or not? And I was like, here's the truth. We, I, I, we have not reached a state when I can tell you that place is perfect. <laughs> I was like, that right. place is going to, you know, like pick that place next uh, compared to this place because we, we are just still facing legacies of systemic failures and, you know, and just really oppressive practices. What I do say is walk in with as much information as you can and walk in or identify very quickly the people who will be your allies and your champions, mm-hmm. the people who will, you know, lift up your voice when you can't. So for example, if you're not the one, you know, that in, the, in a room or if you don't feel safe enough to say that was really, you know, that, 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 you know, that comment was uh, insulting to me, mm-hmm. or I know that it wasn't your, you know, your intent, but I experienced that, that exchange this way. Have, you know, identify someone that you can share that with who may not, you know, who may not share your own experience, but who you can eventually you know, build enough relationship that they're the ones that say, if not in that meeting at a later point, I was like, hey, peer, <laughs> a white male, uh-huh. or, you know, like, let, me, let, me, let me share something that didn't land very well with me, not, not you know, but with me as your peer, um, and let's think about that. And I was like, and again, that feels like nirvana, but it's, it's a way of creating some protection for you, mm-hmm. and it's also a way of a lot of this work as you <laughs> I have this conversation and always been understood by those who are oppressed and marginalized and made invisible. Right. And it's like, it's just, you know, it's hard to constantly trying to fix the work culture for you. Right. <laughs> you know, it's, it's just, it's that, that is incredibly, but, but it's the role and responsibility of senior leaders. And so being able to equip senior leaders with the insights and the information that they need to be actually their best agents of change mm-hmm. um, and to be a real ally. And, you know, I have a, I have a big issue with the term ally because everyone's an ally nowadays, just like everyone's woke. Right. Um, but, you know, it's, this is not about performative allyship. This mm-hmm. is about being truly willing, you know, to, to, you know, challenge your own comfort for the comfort of someone else. Put mm-hmm. your comfort aside so that you can create comfort for someone else. That's what an ally does. Mm-hmm. An ally champions, but a lot, an ally protects and an ally up what needs to be lived because mm-hmm. the risk is less for them. Even though there's always risk in doing this work, the risk is less for them than it is for someone who could lose their job over it, who could lose a potential promotion over it, who could lose the, you know, the support of their team and even the respect of their team. Mm-hmm. Because we know that there's, you know, when, when people don't understand things or when they feel uncomfortable with something, you know, you just lash out at people, you know, right. you, you push against them. So, you know, what I know that's a really long winded way of saying is identify your champions and your supporters. It mm-hmm. is um, being very clear on what, you know, what's that line for you? And mm-hmm. we all have different lines. And we have, by the way, different lines at different points in our lives, depending on necessity. Um, right. And, you know, but being very clear on what's that, what are the times that you will not bridge a gap in your values? That this is, this is, this is truly important and you will not do that. And where are the times where you can actually build shared understanding? Mm. And, you know, and, and recognize that 
both sides, all sides require dignity and respect. So how do we get to a place where everybody can try to be somewhat understanding of each other, but fundamentally leveraging what privilege and positional power they have to create workplaces where that really truly work for everyone? Mm-hmm. That's absolutely profound. And I think critical information that it is situational, um, but definitely I think it's better. I found that when I finally came to a place where, and like you said, everybody is going to have their own journey and be ready for it. Just um, very much so like, you know, you know, coming out stories when you're comfortable and you're ready, you will do that. Um, When you are comfortable and ready in your conviction or being able to talk to the individual without feeling like you're risking everything, you will do that. Um, like you, um, I'm, I, I definitely had moments of maybe prematurely addressing some of these, you know, um, situations and found that like I fell flat on my face. Um, w- can you share an example or maybe just share like, how do you deal with or learn from your failures or setbacks when maybe you do make kind of like um, a rookie mistake or just uh, a mistake that you at the moment think it's career suicide? <laughs> oh goodness. You know, it's, it's funny because I, you know, I have had, I have made comments in meetings where I've literally walked out and I'm like, that's it. I'm going to get fired. Um, it hasn't hasn't happened um for for, you know reasons that i will never know um but you know i think i think most of the time my my advice is and it's with with most things it's just you know pause just take a breather um just really suss out what happened what was said if it's something if it's a mistake that can be solved then try and solve it quickly enough don't let it linger don't don't go into you know don't go into these moments of like all of this you know like I tend to go really deep in my head and like it's dark down there you know, <laughs> just like, you know like the things that, the things that are going on I'm just like oh my gosh it's the worst and then you know when I'm finally able to lift myself out of them I was like oh you know what it wasn't really that bad or mm-hmm. you know or it's like or you know in many cases as you know as this as is you know as this um, normal in corporate environments, uh, you know, people have their own sort of subcultures and sub networks of information sharing. I was like, you know, build your own sub network and support and like, mm-hmm. and make sure that you, you know, you have your spidey lens to, you know, what's the, I call it the, um, we don't have hallways anymore now, sadly, in the time of COVID, <laughs> but I call it, I call it, you know, the hallway reputation that you have, mm-hmm. they, you know, if you're, if, if you're worried that, you know, the hallway reputation about you is really negative and you just completely like, you just said something now that is going to like totally like destroy that for you. Then who are the two to three people that you feel are influencers in the organization that you need Mm. to have their ear so that whenever they're in the rooms that you don't get to be in, they're the ones that are saying great things about you. Mm. That, that if something comes up and go like, you know, that Daisy is really difficult, that there's four other people that are going to say, really, that has not been my experience with her. She's right. always been such a supportive team player. She's always, you know, she's, she's certainly very direct. <laughs> you know, it's like she is very clear and, you know, and, but, you know, but I found her judgment to be really sound, you know, to have those voices muffle those weak moments of failure that we all have. Right. Um, but, but fundamentally to, to reduce before it becomes noise that all it becomes is uh, that all it is is noise that becomes sort of part of this um uh this persona that gets built around people that mm-hmm. just kind of carries with you and none of it is based on anything real other than you know someone said it once and then it just 
Right. Just goes out and says, Counter it, you know, have people on your side and always be very hyper aware of what is being said and how do I get to reshape that in small and big ways along. And, you know, and I've seen, I think that there are people that are masterful at that um, who are both white and non-white. Right. And I've, I've over the years been really attuned to getting a sense of folks who are really good at managing their brands and mm-hmm. managing how people say it. I'm always like, you know what? I may not, you know, I may think you're a little vacuous, but but you're onto something. <laughs> so <laughs> right. let me let me think about how do you manage what you know what people say about you while I do it in a way you know that's really authentic to me and that still feels like you know I am living by my values and mm-hmm. by what's important to me. I do believe that the two can the two can meet really quite successfully. So Shifting gears a little bit, thinking about how, you know, there are challenges that one women face in the workplace and then just the idea of the intersectionality and when you put, you layer race and other things on there, um, other dimensions of diversity for, for women um, and for maybe Latina women, women of color, we struggle enough as it is sometimes of, of feeling invisible. And that's hard enough when you are in a physical place like the workplace. But now with COVID and we are all working remotely and we have the luxuries now to, you know, turn on your camera, turn off your camera, mute yourself, not mute yourself. Um, what advice would you give, um, you know, our, our young listeners out there of making sure that they're standing up and standing out even in the, this digital age? You know, I, I heard something from a, a recruiter the other day that, you know, the questions that recruiters ask are going to be different in the future. And one of the questions a year from now or who knows from now will be, you know, how, how, were, how did you behave? What did you do during the time of COVID? How did you show up in the time of COVID? Um, and I thought that was so insightful and thoughtful because, yes. um, I've been, as you well know, I've been writing a lot um, in the last couple of weeks. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and part of the, part of what's inspired me to write is that, and, and again, you know, you and, you and I have been around for a while. We, we know that it's, you know, in these moments of crisis, the first things to go are diversity and inclusion departments. Yes. Um, and, you know, but, but what, what we also know is that in these moments of crisis is where circles of obligation really shrink mm. and where biases flare up. And, you know, this is, this is a time where already marginalized communities get further marginalized and set aside. So my advice to young people in particular, but to anyone that's in the workplace, is that this is not the time to mute yourself. This is not the time to go inward. Yes, um, you know, our amygdala is completely hijacked right now. Like, you know, <laughs> I, I, I talk about our, you know, our reptilian brain. I feel like my reptilian brain is like, you know, the tentacles are like everywhere because we are <laughs> all like, am I fighting? Am I, am I, am I in flight, fight mode? Flight mode, freeze mode. And for many of us, freeze mode becomes the place to go because mm-hmm. it's where we numb ourselves. You know? Right. Where we, you know, and I, and trust me, I've been numbing a lot. I have been eating so much chocolate and I have been <laughs> binge watching so much TV just so that I, I, I don't have to deal with all the noise. Um, but, but by the same token, I am finding energy to write more and to be more, more present, frankly, mm-hmm. for, you know, for me and the work that I do and more vocal about how important this work is because I know what the, huge, what the risks are. Mm-hmm. If all of us sort of just go back and we just, you know, we, we go into this numbness mode right. and we don't talk about what is most at risk, which is the further marginalization of folks and organizations. The, the fact that um, 
uh, I've had people tell me, oh, you know, like we're not going to focus on diversity anymore because, you know, really we're not recruiting. Like, well, no, <laughs> this is not a focus. Like, this isn't about recruiting. This is about retaining the people that you have right. and ensuring that there that there is a healthy organizational climate so that they can operate at their highest capacity. Mm-hmm. Um, so, what do you do as an individual contributor? This is the time that you know. It's like you ask for what you need. Um, you acknowledge when things are. You know, if, if it's you're having off days, like listen, these are the days to be able to say that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like you know, it's right. Like, you know, I'm having an off day, but I'm having one off day and then I'm back in and, mm-hmm. and I am, I am here to figure out creatively what's the right zoom background we're going to use and what's the <laughs> right, you know, uh, what's the, what's the new team tool we're going to use to be more productive. What is, you know, what's the right to be really honest and saying like, we don't need more zoom calls. Like we see each other enough during the, during the day, but we may need more quiet time during the week to do a little thinking and then come back together because I found that that may be more productive for us. Can we try that? Be the person that's agile and forward thinking and, Mm. you know, and caring and thoughtful about how your team is engaging and connecting. Those are, I really fundamentally Mm. believe those are going to be the future leaders that are going to get us through this. Mm -hmm. And that requires that you are present. Not that you, I mean, I'm still in meetings. I am actually surprised that I'm still in meetings where people um, are not using their videos. Like, well, now is the time where, like, if you have a naked kid going behind you, that people are just going to think it's cute. Yes. <laughs> like, time, this is the time to do it. And, right. and this is the time to share our humanity with each other in mm-hmm. a really meaningful way. Um, now, I say all of that recognizing that some of us are deep introverts and we may just not want to be sharing that much. Um, some of us are, are, are facing, you know, I felt like last week was a particularly heavy week for me because COVID mm-hmm. started getting closer to my circles and, mm-hmm. you know, and I had some losses and, you know, and friends who have it. And so I had, I remember having a day last week where I had to tell all my clients, I was like, I'm just not going to be me today. Like, I just, I need you to know that. And I'm, you know, and I'm, I'm going to pick up tomorrow and it's mm-hmm. not like all sunshiny enough, but I'm going to be very different energy levels and being able to admit that to yourself and to others. Mm-hmm. It's also a skill of, you know, I mean, it's, there's maturity there their self-awareness. And these are all the things that we want in leaders. The key thing that I hear a lot of my um, listeners, my, my clients, others, you know, women that I'm coaching, being able to ask for what they need. When I met you, when we first, like I, we knew of each other and then at Google, we finally got to meet and it was one of these things where it was just immediate, this feeling of familia and there was no hesitancy of like, I need to ask you for help or a favor or whatever. It was just there. (laughs) Um, how do you, like, what's the advice? How do we get our listeners to feel and to understand that there is this natural, you know, vulnerability or reciprocity in the network that, you know, there it's, it can be organic if you let it. Yeah. You know, it's, it's funny because we're just so hard on ourselves. Right. And we think that we have to do this by ourselves. And for me, it was early in my career and it was when I was at Moody's, um, and it's, it's, it's silly, but it's connected. But the first time that I was launching our, our diversity initiative and my boss mm-hmm. lent me her coach for the day. And, <laughs> and I was like, this woman's amazing, the coach. Uh, not, not my boss. 
<laughs> you know, my boss was being strategic and, 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 and I guess thoughtful, but the, the coach was amazing and she helped me visualize what I was missing and helped me structure this program we were doing. And I remember afterwards asking my boss, I was like, so if I want to bring her again, you know, what would that cost? And she's like, oh, she's very expensive. You know, she's like 5,000 for the day. And this was like 20 plus years ago. So, you know, it's mm-hmm. a whole lot more now. Um, but, you know, she's my coach and she's our CEO's coach and whatnot. And I remember my, the, my moment of, of enlightenment, I was like, wait, like all of you have all this help? <laughs> like, wait a second. And you're paying all this money? No wonder you're effective at what you're doing. You have people helping you and you're actually paying people because you have the capacity to do that. Mm-hmm. And to me, that was one of those light bulb moments where I was like, wait a second. Like, I don't, I can't pay $5,000 a day, but I know a lot of really smart people in my circle that can help me. Mm-hmm. And you know, how do I, how do I ask them? And, and how do I make it that it's mutually beneficial? So to mm-hmm. me, it's very important that and, that, and I think that comes from being Latina and being mm-hmm. a woman that I just never want to ask, ask, ask without being able to give back. So I'm still dealing with that as well. But it's about finding relationships that are mutually beneficial and enriching our lives with just a broad breadth of talents and skill sets and experiences. So I have, I have friends and mentors and coaches that run the full gamut that mm-hmm. are incredibly diverse and weird and you know like in, in every space and but but on, but for any question that I have or any job opportunity I'm considering like I have two or three people who are vastly different from each other that I can tap into and ask for their feedback their guidance their support their references and that's because I've been doing that for the past 20 years I've been building those relationships mm-hmm. and by the same token whenever those folks need anything you know I, I you know I have I have when I when I when I had an assistant at my last full-time job and actually my current assistant knows that there's some people that I never say no to so if like like there are people in my mm-hmm. network that if they need 10 15 20 minutes like I don't care what's going to happen. I'm going to create that space for them because that's, that's who they are for me because I've been that for them. Mm-hmm. And so I think that, that, and that's asking for help. Like that yes. is outright going like, I don't know if I should take this job. I don't know if I should do this consulting or I'm way over my head. I just, I, 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 you know, I was like, this, these are all, by the way, real life stories. Yes. <laughs> I am way over my head. I just, you know, I just signed to do this contract and I do not have the resources to do all of this on my own. Like, how would you approach this? What would mm. you think? And then I leave and I'm able to solution from there. Mm-hmm. Um, I also have my own, my own coach and I do pay my coach and, mm-hmm. you know, and, you know, and, and I, I have all of those resources. And if you can't afford a coach, the fact of the matter is, is that, is, you know, these podcasts are amazing. Girlfriends mm-hmm. are amazing. Male friends are amazing. By the way, I, I have a lot of male friends and I love to ask men for their opinion because men will think about things way diff- more different than we will. Mm, yes. And what is, what I'm building up as something crazy, you know, my, one of my guy friends will be like, what, what you so worried about? Like, just do X, Y, Z. And I'm like, oh, yeah, like, ask the white guy. Because that's how he lives <laughs> in this world. Right. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, so I think that we worry that by asking, we are exposing ourselves and that we are, um, and that we're reducing our positioning in, in others' point of view. But for others, like, these are questions that they have themselves. Mm-hmm. They have, and especially if they're more senior than you, like, but, it, but also your peers and more junior than you, like, these are things that people are questioning. So mm-hmm. when, when you put yourself and you sort of lean on your bravery and your courage and you just put yourself out there, like you're, you're reducing that, that gap of humanity that we build out of mm-hmm. mostly fear and anxiety. And nine out of 10 times, the results are far more positive than you expected. 
and allow you to move forward and do not diminish you in any way. I absolutely agree with that. And I love that you were saying about, you know, just asking questions and asking other, you know, um, male colleagues and peers, because they sometimes will like, you're over engineering this. Like I've had it so many times, like you were doing way too much work. <laughs> like They would have like, I would have. Yes. And so then you realize like, oh my God, I am over engineering this. Um, I'll never forget one of my, you know, still mentors this day telling me, and you probably know Lance, Lance Laverne. He was like, listen, yes. if, if you're not asking me questions, he's like, that's when I'm going to worry. Um, the more questions you ask, the more kind of like it, it gives me, it, it kind of gives me peace of mind that you're thinking about these things. Yes. Um, so, so that's when I realized like, oh, like asking questions is almost thinking out loud and getting them to understand that like you are thinking this and you may not have the answer, but you'll get them. Um, yeah. So, so I, I totally agree that a lot of people feel like asking for help or asking questions diminishes who they are, but instead it could have the opposite effect, especially when you may have senior leaders or people questioning, like, does she know what she's doing? She's not asking for any help. You know, and, and I, I don't want to diminish the fact that the reason why we behave that way is because at some point in our lives, mm -hmm. someone will feel like that. Yes. So, you know, like, and, you know, all of our fears and anxieties are not just like, for the most part, they're not made up. They're, right. you know, they're moments in our childhood, usually, and they're moments in our lives that, you know, have proven that. And, and the human brain is wired to instantly, you know, sort of categorize and like, if you do this, there is danger. <laughs> you will be rejected, you will be, you know, thought of as less. And so, so that, that's, that's what's operating in our brains. But this is where, you know, unbiasing techniques and pushing yourself against and going like, is that real or is that just the perception that I have? Mm, and yes. so let me test that out and let me ask one person. And, and again, this is, I, I just feel like this has happened to me often where I have, I build up all these things in my head and then, I, and then I just pause and I use you know, the skills that we, we've learned as DNI practitioners. And I'm like, okay, what, what data do I have to prove that that's going to happen? <laughs> I was like, what, you know, what data am I using, you know, to, mm -hmm. you know, to, this and I was like and what can I test out that's gonna be different so let me call one person and this happened to me very recently and I called one person I was just like so I'm thinking this and you know and this is very confidential and whatever and he was like yeah okay great so here's what you're gonna do and blah blah blah, blah. and all of a sudden I was like I, I literally could feel my my heart lighten it's like yes oh, like what why was I being so hard on myself and 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 frankly blocking myself from doing what I needed to do uh, you know all I needed was to ask, you know, this person who may not have been the right person, but he was the right person at that time, who just cleared everything for me and also took a lot of the shame and guilt away. Mm -hmm. I think the fantastic question that you pointed out that you ask yourself is, is this real? And what is the data that I can prove like this will happen or has happened? And what is the likelihood that it'll happen again? now mm -hmm. that I can forecast or know how to maybe navigate around it. Mm -hmm. um, so the question of, is this real? And I think that's what a lot of us, when we have our own self-limiting beliefs of being able to poke holes in that and saying, is this real? And weighing the upside and the downside and saying, okay, can I live with the downside? And if I can, well then just move forward. Um, yeah. <laughs> I love that. One thing that I, I really want to touch on, you talked about coaching and coaches. And, um, you know, sometimes I have these conversations with um, individuals who are con considering coaching, but they see coaching in a negative light that it's they're getting coaching to fix something. 
And I, you know, I try to dispel that, but what, what is your advice or how would you describe coaching for you or for anybody? I haven't thought about this until very recently. And I, so I'm, I'm a, I was gonna say, I'm embarrassed to say that, but it's, it's the truth. Um, you know, if you've ever, I, I never, I played sports when I was in school, but not that much, but you know, I was like, a, you, we, everyone that, has, that I know has ever played sports loves their coaches. Right. <laughs> and what does a coach do? A coach, you know, a coach like helps you make sense of things. A coach motivates you. A coach sets paths for you. A coach clarifies for you. That's what a, that's what a, you know, a corporate coach does for you. Mm-hmm. Coach, that's what I both get from my, my coaches and mm-hmm. what I offer my teams. Um, I remember again, when, and this is, and this is early in my career, which is when I learned it, when I had that coach that day and I was like, Oh, I thought you only got coaches when like, it's like remedial training here. Like it's mm-hmm. like something has to be fixed. Um, and then I realized I was like, Oh no, like this entire day, <clears throat> this coach just helped me amplify what I was already thinking, clarify, organize structure and take it to a level that I, it would have taken me weeks to get to. Mm-hmm. I was able to, you know, simple it in one day with this leader. So who doesn't want to be more efficient, more effective, <laughs> um, more clear on what they want to do mm-hmm. and you know and, and and have more confidence about their ability to do that to me those are all the things that a coach helps you see and that and that pushes you you know my my favorite coach nowadays is mario cuomo because <laughs> <laughs> yes. i fundamentally believe that my, my friend let me see this the other day and i was like i did not recognize i was like governor cuomo has been coaching us through covid yes and governor cuomo every day is telling us, I don't know what's around the corner, but I'm telling you, it's going to be pretty. Do a little bit of light today, and we're going to do a little bit of laughing, and I'm going to give you a little, you know, somber news that you don't want to hear, right. but I'm going to lift you up again, and we're building the muscles when we get to that really scary time that I'm telling you is happening because I am sense-making for you. Right. I am, and I was like, when it comes, I was like, I'm going to be here to give you a big bear hug, and we're going to, be, we're going to do this today. He is being the ultimate coach <laughs> that we could need. The analogy you used of, of sports or thinking about these all of these famous athletes, right? They all have their coaches. And you see them even switching coaches where they're just looking for that coaches who's helping them with for that like two millimeter change, right? Just I need to shift something two millimeters and they're getting the coaches yeah. and it's taking them from yeah. athlete to Olympian, right? Um, and I think that's what I really hope that our listeners take away is that there is no shame in coach. I don't know where the shame started coming from in coaching where they felt like it was some remedial thing or something's having to be, to be fixed. Um, and ideally, you know, seeking out coaches, like you said, is just going to help them gain more clarity, be more efficient and be able to forecast and be more agile. And, you know, just having that coach in your back pocket is sometimes the, the, the superpower, that super weapon that you have to, to kind of just get to the next level. Closing with our, ne- with our final question is that, you know, what are your words of advice in this, you know, current environment? What would be that one success kind of habit that you can teach or tell our listeners to, to do uh, so that they can um, keep the momentum in moving forward? Oh, goodness. That's a, that's a tough question. <laughs> um <laughs> You know, I, I think in these moments of such deep uncertainty, ambiguity, and real pain and loss mm-hmm. um, across many levels, you know, I, I, I think it's, uh, you know, it's, it's that it's, it's being able to lean on, on calm and, and, 
you know, and, and empathy and the connection um, mm-hmm. and, you know, and being an integrator of information in a thoughtful way, you know, we're getting so much information in so many mm. different ways, but being able to integrate information that allows you to make really well-informed decisions and improve mm. your performance and improve the performance of others. Right. I think that, I think that being, being, focusing on that um, allows you to think forward and to and shift your agility. You know, like we're, we're all having to shift everything right now. But if we focus on, you know, how do we remain calm in the, you know, uncalmest of days? How do we, how do we remain focused in the muddiest of days in our mm. lives? How do we remain connected at a time when we are being physically distanced? Mm-hmm. And, and how do we continue to think about, you know, how do I, where, where, and how do I lean on information to make more informed decisions? Um, I, I, I hope, and I'm, I'm trying to lean on that, um, to, to get us through not just what's around the corner now, but you know, well into the future. That's fantastic. I loved what you said about synthesizing information to make informed decisions because there's so much clutter and noise out there. And knowing that if it's confusing you, (laughs) it's probably confusing others close to you and around you. And how can you all kind of, how can you kind of integrate that information so that everybody feels like, okay, I have some clarity and we can move forward. I think that's fantastic. The one thing that we can rely on is familia your community and yes. um, and like you said, the calmness and just being authentic to yourself and asking for what you need. So Daisy, thank you so much. It has been as usual, um, inspiring and so much of a joyful pleasure having conversations with you. So thank you so much. I know that our listeners are probably going to be itching to know how they can stay connected with you or get connected with you. So if you can share with them the best way for them to, to be in contact, that would be awesome. Oh, well, thank you so much for having me. Always love to, uh, any opportunity to chat with you. Um, yeah, folks can reach, uh, reach out to me on Twitter. It's Daisy AD. Um, I'm on LinkedIn, uh, really long name, Daisy OJ Dominguez, A-U-G-E-R, that's Dominguez. Um, and then on Instagram as well. I am, I am on all the social media platforms uh, un- under my, my full name. And if I can ever help anyone, I'm happy to. Um, I think like, like you said, community and family is what's going to get us through this. And uh, I always try my very best uh, to be of service to others because I am where I am because many others have been of service to me. Uh, So I'm, I'm glad to reciprocate. Fantastic. Thanks, Daisy. Thank you. Thanks for listening. There are thousands of podcasts out there, and we are so grateful that you've chosen to listen to ours. Visit IamBeyondBarriers.com, where you'll find show notes and links to all the resources referenced in this episode. And be sure to take the quiz on the website. Your score will tell you where you are, what helps you gain momentum, and what holds you back. You'll also get a free guide with cutting-edge career strategies. We'd also love to hear from you. Share your comments and topic suggestions on IamBeyondBarriers.com and we'll be sure to address them in future episodes. If you enjoyed our show today, please subscribe and rate the podcast or just tell a friend about it. See you next episode.